gates open, off and Skyly Sensory stayed in the gate. There's Bo Rogue being set alight immediately by Cyril Small and racing to the lead. But Bo Rogue won't give up, he's still in front. Groucho's grabbing him now. Groucho coming at Bo Rogue, don't play, getting a rails run. Bo Rogue in front, he's got a heart as big as himself. He'll win, Bo Rogue! This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and the High Gang Group. Gosford Race Club's new half-million-dollar race, The Coast, was meant to premiere in 2020, but the race meeting was called off at the height of the pandemic. It finally got off the ground last year when The Coast was won by Brandenburg from the John Sargent stable. Sadly, later in the year, Brandenburg had to be euthanised after sustaining a horror foreleg injury in the Wink Stakes at Randwick. The Gosford Entertainment Grounds will be fairly swinging on Saturday, May 7, when the Coast will highlight a top-class standalone metropolitan-class race meeting. Co-features will be the $250,000 Gosford Gold Cup and the $200,000 Takeover Target Stakes. For sheer atmosphere, the Gosford course is hard to beat. The viewing is spectacular from the stand or on the hill, while the smaller-than-normal layout of the track affords easy viewing of all ten races. Gosford committeeman Reg Delaney tells me no stone has been left unturned in preparation for Gosford's biggest day of the year. The date, Saturday, May the 7th, for the Coast, the Gosford Gold Cup and the takeover target at the Entertainment Grounds. Genetics have played no part in Joe Pride's rise to the upper echelon of Sydney horse trainers. The Queen Beanne-born horseman comes from a non-racing background, but for some reason found himself enjoying a modest punt on the horses from an early age. Even during his university days in the early 1990s, he'd find himself at the nearest TAB agency during the lunch break. With every race he watched on television, his passion for the sport intensified. By the mid-90s, he'd become hell-bent on seeking a career in the racing industry, preferably a hands-on role in a racing stable. Joe's parents were disappointed when he decided to abandon his studies at Sydney University after just one year. By the same token, they could see he was a young man on a mission. Joe Pride got a lucky break early in his racing life when he landed a job with a man called John Size. For the next four years, he'd have the luxury of watching a master at work, an extraordinary horseman who did things differently to most trainers. John Size excelled in the Sydney training ranks and has achieved stellar results during his 20 years in Hong Kong. Joe's the first to admit he was greatly influenced by the John Size method. Joe has just turned 50. He's well over the 1,000 win milestone, and that includes more than 100 stakes races and 14 Group 1s. I'm delighted to welcome Joe Pride to the podcast. Thanks for your time, Joe. Lovely to chat. Yeah, my pleasure, John. I've been having a look at the state and metropolitan trainers' premiership figures from the time you started out. Your best state result so far is 81. Your best metro is 54.5 with a relatively small team. But you keep turning up every year and there's a definite consistency about your results for the last 18 or 19 years. 
Yeah, look, um, I'm, very, I'm very proud of that. It takes a lot of a lot of hard work, um, some great support, obviously from from my owners and 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 backing from the from the team we've got here um, at the stables. But uh, yeah, I, I uh, I'm, I'm disappointed when I'm not uh, when I when I lose that consistency. So it's something we really strive for, and it's uh, uh, seven days a week, you know, working working away at it, and, and basically not not too many holidays in there either. You do your best to develop metropolitan class horses. You go to the provincials when necessary, and you'll take one to the country from time to time. But I think you're pretty brutal if you think a horse can't pay its way. Yeah, and I've just learned over the years you've got to be. Um, and I don't mind horses leaving the stable and, and going winning races, um, you know, in the country or interstate um, because the Sydney uh, the Sydney uh, landscape now is just so strong, um, so competitive. And uh, you need the right kind of horse to be racing here, and I think um, I think it's not always appreciated immediately by by ownership groups when you move their horse on. But I think in the in due course it is because they realise that you know it's probably good. they're basically just buying a win or two. So um, you've got to have the right kind of horse to, to race here, definitely. You developed a liking for a little punt pretty early in life, but what triggered that? How did you become interested in the first place? Question has so so long so long ago I, I can't remember. I think it was just more a uh, a group of mates which I'm still uh, very good friends with. We just sort of uh, I'm not sure who led the way, but someone <laughs> got us interested in it, and uh, it's just a fascinating sport. And straight away it sort of it just uh, it sort of reeled me in and 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 captivated uh, got my attention. My, my dad was always a punter, so I sort of oh, was exposed yeah. to it. Yeah, early in life, and I remember. I remember seeing him get really excited uh, when Kingston Town ran in the Melbourne Cup, and I, mm. I sort of thought, "Gee, wow, that's a that's a fair bit of enthusiasm from, from my dad. It must be a good sport." And mm. I guess I just had an interest in it from, uh, from right from then on. Yeah, I think you and a few mates were seen from time to time in the TAB wearing school uniform, weren't you? <laughs> yes, probably uh, probably shouldn't be advertising that, should we? But uh, <laughs> no, he was he was a. He's a lovely bloke. I'm sure of his name. The the guy that ran the the tab there. I better not dob him in and say the name of the tab. But he <laughs> he used to he used to let us have a bet, and I don't think we were taking too much money off him, so that wasn't a problem. But he used to let us uh, he used to let us in and, and have a little punt. So. Mm. You selected a psychology degree at Sydney University when it was time to get serious about life. You picked a pretty tough subject. Yeah, look at look, and I'm not. You know, I look back on it now, and I guess maybe a lot of people do once they get a bit older and reflect back and think, you know, what what was it about that that, that made me more interested in or, or got my attention? And mm-hmm. and uh, I really can't say now because it's it's not. It was I didn't pick something that was going to to suit me. In, in fact, I, I found myself in something that, su- that suits me really, really well. My my skill set for for what I do now mm. uh, as a horse trainer is, is is perfect. It's the perfect job for me. Um, so, mm. yes, being a psychologist wouldn't have been on. Anyone who knows me knows that I'm not a uh, mm. not, not a shoulder to cry on or someone that wants to hear long long stories about someone else's life. So, uh, yeah, but look, it's it uh, everything happens for a reason and. Um, I'm always. I was always very determined um, to to make a go of racing. Right from the first time I got in there, I just thought it was a sport that uh, I was extremely enthusiastic about, and mm. been privileged and lucky enough to be able to turn it into a career. Mm. Joe, did you do any work experience with other trainers before you started with John Size? Yes. Yep. Yep. So I started off with um, uh, it was a stable basically with two trainers in it, and, and that was Barry Lockwood, who now trains in Queensland, and Bruce Johnson, and they were fantastic. Mm. Um, country guys who, who took me under their wing and I stayed there for I think it was three or four years and uh, they taught me all the basics mm. um, and more but um, they, they were just 
great blokes and still are to this day, obviously. But they, uh, as I say, just it was the perfect spot to land in. It wasn't a big stable, and um, and I got uh, I got all all the um, uh, I picked up on everything they were, they were able to teach me because I wasn't sort of lost in a big system. Mm. Uh, and there were a lot of smaller stables around back then, um, but that was in the early nineties. And uh, mm. and then I went to Bill Mitchell's at Randwick and mm. uh, and spent a few years there. And then I uh, and then I got to John's place in about I think ninety six. Mm. Now I should have remembered your Rose Hill connection because I came out there one day with a Sky Channel cameraman uh, to get some footage of one of the horses, one of Barry Lockwood's. M- might have been a filly called Rock Review. Uh, yeah, was, no, no, would I that be right? No, I, no, I think it was, it was one of Bruce's horses. Or it was might it? have been maybe Cash on Schedule. Cash on, cash on Schedule, correct. Yeah, yeah. And so, young Joe uh, yeah, Pride, no, you were the strapper. You brought the horse out. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I've seen that footage uh, not recently, but uh, and uh, yeah, look, so much changes in, in 30 years, doesn't it? Oh, I should have remembered, Bruce. I'm ashamed <laughs> of myself. <laughs> now, to say John Size was a little different as a trainer is an understatement. He never over-galloped horses. He was a devout believer in the benefits of swimming. Is it true he swam most of his horses twice a day? Yes, yeah, um, sure did, and um, and and we still do that currently. So, and it, look, to be fair, um, I think when when John first got to Ramwick, the pool was there to be used. But by the time he left there, there were a lot of a lot more people swimming their horses. So, mm. um, he sort of led the charge there. And I think we can all see the benefits of um, you know of low impact exercise um, that gets the the heart and lungs working. Mm. Um, so it's it's pretty popular uh, with with most trainers now. Um, but, um, yeah, look, it's, um, not every horse in my stable swims, uh, if they're not good swimmers, I tend not to do them, but it's, uh, it's so beneficial and, and particularly during the summer, they swim all year round, but particularly during the summer months, beautiful way to sort of cool down after a bit of work as well. Yeah. Joe, it is a fact, isn't it? That some horses simply can't swim. They panic. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and at that point it's, it's, it's pointless swimming them because they're not uh, every bit of exercise I want my horses to do. Mm. I want them to get some enjoyment out of and, and getting them to enjoy their work is, is key to getting them to, to perform. Mm. Was John Sire still riding a little track work at the time you were there? Yes, and he, he rode track work until you know I wouldn't say recently, but uh, a few years back in, in in Hong Kong. So he's um, mm. he was always um, and that sort of gave me the chance. He sort of put me in charge of the stable, which mm. was good. And he was out riding track work and um, and uh, and and entrusted me. He really gave me sort of the full running of the stable in terms of um, you know handling the staff. I mean, he, he made all the important decisions with the horses. That didn't mm. be wrong, but um, it gave me good opportunity to, to watch him firsthand. Mm. He had a way with those older horses who'd gone off the boil, horses who'd put together a bunch of duck eggs in their form. Now, assuming they were sound, what did he do to turn them around? Yeah, look, there was something like, – I would love to, to go back, honestly, and have those four years over again because with what I know now, I would have been able to um, take so much more out of that experience. Um, but, mm. um, you know, thinking back on it now uh, with, 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 as a, with, with my knowledge, um, it was – it was always about, um, and he just made so few mistakes, John. It was just recognizing what that horse was going to, what what, what its strengths were, mm. um, ironing out any 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 um, any injuries or, or problems that they had. Mm. And but I think it was just more to do with um, just a general way that John uh, did John train that that basically took horses that had been in traditional training uh, under traditional training uh, regimes and and put into a different system, and you just watch them thrive, and and, and it happened so quickly. Mm. He did you another favour in the year 2000. 
when he decided to accept an offer to train in Hong Kong, and he's still there, of course, achieving astonishing results. The time was right for young Joe Pride to give it a crack. Did you have any owners at all to start off with? Yeah, no, I did. He he was great. So he 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 set me up, and I sort of started with um, a team of around twenty, I'd say, but. Mm-hmm. Things didn't go that well in the first six months, six to 12 months, and it wasn't long before I had six horses, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I thought, you know, and I downsized and got another stable and the major owner uh, that I had at the time had, had, had left, mm. and it wasn't so much through lack of success. It was just I don't know that they had the faith in me being, you know, sort of a, a rookie trainer, mm. and, um, and as soon as that happened, it was probably the best thing that could have happened to me because I just got to... I got to run my own show, and um, and I've always firmly believed, you know, a horse can't be trained by a committee; it needs to be trained by by primarily one person. Um, obviously, you get help to do the work, but uh, being left alone to make my own, um, to row my own boats, so so to speak, um, yeah. it was just so much better. And within that within that period, I got a horse called Viva La Venus was in the first twelve months of training, sort of mm-hmm. towards the end of the first year. He won the Gosford Cup, and and I was I felt like I was on my way. I read who. Red Oog walked into the um, into the barn as well as a young horse, and uh, it didn't yeah. take us long to establish ourselves. You probably felt you were on your way on the nineteenth of July two thousand and one. That was the date of your first winner as a trainer. It was at Wyong. It was a maiden horse's name was Island, and the jockey was a bloke you were destined to have a lot of success with later, Corey Brown. Yes, yeah, you know, Corey's still still ridden the most winners for me of of any um, of any mm. jockey. So, um, and he's been retired for a while now. So I'm sure someone's going to catch up eventually. I share the rides around a little bit more than probably what I did through quite a few of those early years, where mm. I just looked to Corey um, as the sort of go to man for for my best chances, mm. um, and uh, just had a fantastic relationship with him, and that he really understood. We understood each other well, and um, there didn't 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 need to be a lot of dialogue between us mm. in terms of giving instructions or, or him needing to know too much more. He would just j- jump on my horses, ride them instinctually, mm. um, and just fantastic jock. Mm. Oh, fantastic jock! Laid back, good bloke, easy to get on with. I'm so thrilled to see him doing well now in racing media. Yes, yeah, no, it's a it's a career he's um, he's established himself well at now. So it's a shame. I'd love to see. I'd love to still be putting him on my horses, but um, mm. uh, obviously his injuries have, have taken care of that. But um, yeah, it was a it was great with Corey. It's just um, as I say, just a real a real understanding between us, and and um, he just got the job done so often for me. Even better than Ireland's win at Wyong was your first city winner, coincidentally on the horse's birthday, two thousand and one. A mare called Alanis on a bog track at Canterbury with the long-retired Lenny Beasley on board. Yeah, Lenny Beasley, yes. Uh, same owner, Louise Nutman. Uh, she's mm. a vet um, out at Hawkesbury. She owned both those horses, Ireland and Alanis. And, um, uh, yeah, it was a dreary old day, uh, wet and cold, and she ploughed her way through the mud. I think she was a – she might have even been a maiden winning a, a, a midweeker um, and it wasn't, a, it wasn't a maiden race. So no, she was, she was she had a little bit of talent but she had a bit of a mind of her own and she ended up being a bit of a barrier rogue and mm. didn't go on with it. But I suppose a lot of people – a lot of trainers say that about the first horse they won with. It. Mm. Not very often we start at the top. So The horse to rocket you to racing's big stage was the sprinter with the unusual name of Red Oog. You had him right through his 36 starts, of which he won 10. His seventh win was his first at stakes level, 
and that was the Group 3 Star Kingdom stakes. But I imagine by then, Joe, you were feeling that he had Group 1 potential. Yeah, look, he's um, he was an exciting he, – he, he developed reasonably slowly and he had a uh, – he he had a fractured um, he got a um, a nasty fracture in his pelvis um, when he first came back as a four year old so we had to wait a long time for him and it wasn't until his sort of five and six year old years that he that he really went on with it but uh, he he was always a talented talented horse he won his first start in a race at Kembla and mm. um, he always looked like he was gonna he was going to make the grade. Mm. Well, after the Star Kingdom win, he ran third in the Galaxy. You gave him a little freshen up. And then a quiet barrier trial, and then off you go to Brisbane, where he ran seventh, but only three lengths away in the BTC Cup. And then came your first Group One, the Doombin Ten Thousand with Hugh Bowman up. I'll tell you the name of the second horse, Our Egyptian Rain, but you tell me the name of the horse that ran third in that race. Yeah, there was some talented horses in it. Take over target, was it? <laughs> yes, take over target. <laughs> It was a hot field that day. I remember Pateza was in there who'd won the Doncaster. Mm. Um, Shamika who'd won the TJ in the side in the um, all aged. She yeah. was in it. Uh, it, was, it was a cracking field. And he, my horse was 20 to 1. Mm. Didn't go around a horse. It was an absolute gem of a ride from Huey. Mm. Um, and uh, oh, it was such a thrill. It was amazing. Mm. Well, he later won the Concord Group 3. And then he cracked another Group 1, the TJ Smith. And Huey Bowman again was on board. Yeah, he had a great association with him, Huey. So um, he's an amazing horse. He really was so talented, and um, it was such a thrill to get um, and such a, a lift to, to you know a, a young horse trainer to get a horse like that so early, mm. so early on. It really just sort of um, it puts you in the limelight, doesn't it? And um, mm. it just gives you the opportunity to get better horses. And with each good horse you get, it sort of encourages more more good horses to come your way and more good owners. And um, mm. You know, they're all the, all the building blocks you need. It's funny, I still feel like a, a young trainer and a, and, a, and a trainer establishing myself, but um, when I sort of can look back on these things and see how long ago they were, mm. I figure I'm probably uh, I'm probably not a young trainer anymore. <laughs> Joe, at 50, believe me, you are a young trainer. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way to look at it, yes. In that TJ Smith, Glamour Push ran second, and again, I'll test your memory, who ran third? I remember the horses that were in the race because Slitzer was in there <laughs> and uh, Virage de Fortune was in it. Yeah. I think uh, the Golden Slipper winner of Paul Perry's was in there. Um, Stratum. Went to start Stratum. Yep. Yeah. It was, a cra- yeah. it was, again, a gun field, small field, but yeah. a very good field. And, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say when a couple of those Colts wanting to go to stud and, and my mongrel old gelding knocked them off and sure <laughs> the studs weren't too happy. <laughs> well, Schnitzel ran third in that TJ Smith. I think he service for you this year is $220,000. What a pity Red Oog was a gelding. <laughs> and he needed to be gelded too, believe me. He was uh, <laughs> he was lazy. He wouldn't get out of his own way. I, I remember um, quite clearly just trying to get him going as a colt and uh, he nearly drowned in the pool one day because he wouldn't. He just stopped swimming and uh, I, couldn't get him to, I couldn't get him to go. We couldn't get him out of three-quarter pace. Goodness he was man. always a really lazy, casual horse, but uh, mm. he, he needed the snip. So there was no, uh, no chance he was going to start any time. You've worked wonders with several geldings whose futures looked uninspiring, but perhaps your magnus opus was the transformation of vision and power in 2009. He'd won once in 19 starts in Victoria. First thing you did was turn him out for a long spell. Yeah, it was well. It was actually um, it was actually um, EI that that made me spell him. 
Mm. Um, and and I get, and that was the first significant spell I think he'd had in his life. And I think his last assignment in Melbourne was he got beaten a big margin in a hurdle trial. Mm. So at that point, everyone had given up on him. But the, the one bloke who hadn't given up on him was Nick Moratis, his owner. He, he still thought he had something there, and mm. he sent him to me as he did a few other tried horses over that period. And um, he, again, an amazing horse. He had one special preparation where, we, where he won six races and a couple of Group Ones. And that preparation, he was uh, it wasn't unbeatable, but he was close to it. Uh, mm. And he was he was a fair age at the time. He was six or seven, I think. Um, mm. But he just had, um, yeah, he was a great horse for quite a few years. And um, yeah, again, some some great memories. Mm. Well, you won nine all up with vision and power. The first decent one was the Parramatta Cup. Then he ran second in the Chipping Norton. He ran fourth in the Ranvet. And this is where the Joe Pride skill comes into the equation. Fourth in the Ranvet, two thousand metres. Two weeks later. You drop him back to 1,500 to win the George Ryder with Jim Cassidy up. That was pretty clever. It was good. It was good. I remember after that, after the Ranvet, and he ran fourth, and it, it sort of, he'd already had quite a few runs at preparation. Um, and um, and Nick rang me up on the Sunday morning. He said, oh, Jimmy Jimmy said that horse needs a spell now. Are you going to put him in the paddock? I said, no, no, we won't put him in the paddock. He's, mm. he's going well. And uh, I think we didn't – thankfully we didn't listen to the jock because mm. he, uh, yeah, he won two group ones after that. So, oh, amazing. Um, Mm. But uh, yeah, look, he was he was a horse. He 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 wasn't a uh, what was he? He was probably a miler. It was his best distance, and um, just mm. after it was a wait for age race. Just thought I'd freshen him up, and he was lucky enough to get a heavy track that day on the right in, in the rider. Otherwise, he probably wouldn't be able to win it. But uh, yeah. and an absolute peach of a ride from from Jim Cassidy too. Mm. I think he went around one horse if, if he went around any. Um, so he, he had a little bit of luck to get that one, but his Doncaster win was was, was um, really special. Oh yeah, just trap, trap wide and just you know, gunned it down the outside. That was on a soft five, and he th- he raced three wide all the way with cover, took off on the turn, got carted as you say six or seven deep. Any one of five or six looked like winning at the two hundred, but coming close to home, he forged clear, and he was strong on the line to beat Black Piranha. And who begot you? And I had a look at the replay, Joe. Jimmy Cassidy was very excited going past the post on that horse. <laughs> he was, he was. I remember Mark Sheen's call of things. I don't know where to look, and then vision yeah. and power. He just exploded. And in those races, they decided decided by the horse that wants to win it most. And that was the thing. Any one of them could have won at the at the furlong. And the horse that won won easily on the line. He. he um, he just he wanted it, so and that was he had great desire, especially that preparation. He was amazing. Now you better get your hanky ready, because we're about to talk about the horse that was your favourite until Eduardo came along, and <laughs> I refer to the brilliant Terra Vista. Eleven wins, seven placings, two point six million in prize money, two Group Ones, more than two years apart. The first Group One win, Joe, was the. 2014 Dali Classic, Hugh Bowman again, and wasn't he dynamic in beating Chautauqua and Lankan Rupee? Buffering was close up. He burst between horses about 100 metres out. Incredible horse. Like um, I'd still say to this day, I think he's probably got more more ability than um, Eduardo. Mm. Um, and on his day, he could beat Eduardo, but his days weren't often enough. And um, just just always mixed his form. And I sort of I've, I've thought back many times about his career and what what maybe I could have done different. But he, he was he was difficult because he early on he he strung together a lot of wins, but he it, he used to overheat. 
um, and he would just pull up exhausted after his runs, mm. um, staggering at times. And uh, he's such a big boy, you know. I think he was probably close enough to 600 kilos, and he's probably too, he, he was probably too big. Um, and, and tried a little bit too hard, and I think towards the end of his career, he he just saved himself for for when when conditions were right for him, mm. and that's why he mixed his form up. He didn't have any issues in terms of you know uh, bleeding. He had a few feet issues, but it was more just um, like I took him over to Perth, and everything seemed to go well. It was an easy race. Mm. He got beat two months later. I bobbed up in Melbourne with him, and he won the Lightning. And yeah, I think he ran yeah. your last in Perth. That was him. He'd mixed his form. That's what made it. He was a heartbreak horse. He was. Um, mm. You knew you knew the talent was there, but uh, it was just trying to work out when it was actually going to be when he was going to give it to you. Mm. You mentioned the Lightning Stakes. That was his second Group One, 2017. Corey Brown, the rider, same as the Darley, smothered up and one dash. Yeah. And that's sort of what he needed to produce his best, particularly towards the end of his career. He could do things the hard way early on, but as he got older, he just needed you know things in his favour. And he retired, you know, re- relatively early. I think he he, uh, he didn't have um, he didn't have as many starts as some of my other good horses, but he needed to retire in the end. He just he'd, he'd lost the he'd lost the desire, and his his good runs were becoming less and less frequent. So um, he's got a beautiful home now, uh, being looked after, and um, and a deserved retirement. And you'll never forget him. No, no, very special horse. Well, Terra Vista won five other stakes races. He was placed in two Dali Classics, apart from his win in that race. He was placed in a new market. So he was a hell of a sprinter. Now, Sacred Choice was a very good Choisir mare you trained a decade ago. You won nine races with her, 11 placings, 2.1 million. Following a very good third in the 2010 Epsom, you took her to Melbourne for the Group 1 Maya Classic. She struck a heavy eight at Flemington, which she absolutely relished. Joe, looking at the replay again last week, she was dominant on the day. She beat Duke <laughs> Mayers by four and a half lengths was the winning margin. Yeah, it was a really good field that year. Um, it was, it was, um, and she was a big price for a reason. They were, and look again, if she hadn't got a heavy track that day, she she, she wasn't going to be winning that race. But once she got the rain on the day, and there was plenty of it. Um, once again, Corey just sailed down the outside, won one so easily, um, and uh, she was amazing. Was on a wet track, just didn't alter her stride at all. Uh, I think she went just as fast on the wet as she did on the dry. So um, most horses accommodate for those wet tracks and sort of shorten their stride up, and 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 sort of you know they're looking after themselves, but um, not. Her, she uh, used to stride right out on them. Well, Sacred Choice struck another heavy track in the 2011 Doncaster, in which Tim Clark had the ride. She was trapped pretty wide most of the way, but uh, took no notice of it and raced away to win easily. Yeah, she'd have been one suited by this autumn. Sacred Choice would love to have had her up for this carnival. She, um, mm. There was no track ever too heavy for her, and that was an extremely heavy track that day. Um, uh, she sat sat deep the whole way, but um, won easily. Um, mm. She was just yeah, just a superior wet tracker. You know, her form on the dry was probably that of a mm. um, you know maybe Group Three, Group Two horse at best. But on 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 when she got on heavy ground, she was um, she was one of the best horses in the country. Mm. You stepped her up to two thousand meters in the Queen Elizabeth of that year, and she ran a very good second to a horse called My Kingdom of Fife. Yeah, yeah, she, 2000 was probably a step too far for her, but she got a wet track that day and it was, and it was sort of backing up from the Doncaster, so yeah. we'd give it a go, but 2000 was just a touch beyond her. Um, she was a miler, you know, um, place, as you said, place in Epsom, won those two group ones at a mile, um, and not many not many mares, not many mares win Doncasters, do they? So she was, she no. was pretty talented. But Joe, you know, 
At that level, uh, if you can run second, as she did in that Queen Elizabeth, the prize money is very worthwhile. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, and, and what she won, you know, uh, and it's not that long ago that she was racing, but what she won, I think it was probably 2011, 2012, you mm. know, convert it to, to what they can win nowadays. And I know that's a familiar tale for a lot of horses that raced a long time ago, but um, mm. prize money's never been better. But, um, yeah, she we she went off to stud and uh, she'd been a bit disappointing, actually. Um, she hasn't hasn't produced much, but, uh, again, we've seen that with a lot of a lot of great mares over the, over the years. They're not necessarily the best brood mares. Maccabi Diva is one that comes to mind. Yes. Uh, no, there's been a few of them, hasn't there? So mo- most of the, the very good mares, but it doesn't stop people paying a lot of money for them. So um, for good reason. But uh, I'm sure there'll be there'll be one come along soon enough that'll, that'll make a great brood mare. Regal Cheer was a nice mare, Joe. Uh, she won almost 900,000. She won three stakes races. She won the Group 1 Coolmore Classic as a three-year-old. Michael Rod was the jockey that day. Gave her a lovely run. He did, yeah. Gave a, it was one of those group ones you win where you go, well, you just needed everything to to go our way, and it and it did perfectly. Um, she's dashed really quickly from an inside, um, nice. She had a nice cosy run inside draw there at Rose Hill, and uh, once again got a bit of a soft track, but dashed really quickly, and they were closing quick on her. You know, fifteen hundred was as far as she wanted, but um, it was her her day in the sun, and she probably wasn't. Um, she certainly wasn't as good as some of the other Group One horses I've had, but um, she she had her moment there, and she was a very consistent, very consistent filly. Her three-year-old year was was excellent. Her three, autumn three-year-old campaign in particular was was fantastic. Private Eye has done a wonderful job for the stable. Yeah, he's 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 an exciting horse, and the good thing about him is he's um, he's only just warming up, so he's only had sixteen starts. Really excited about him. I know he's been disappointing this autumn on some some really heavy tracks, but we're sort of. We're resetting the compass, and we're going to head to um, uh, going to head to Queensland with him and, and give him a, a crack at the Stradbroke, which I think is a race that will suit him. Um, you know, mm. a hectic pace. He's won at Eagle Farm before. His Epsom win was excellent. He's a re- as I say, really exciting horse. We, mm. we haven't seen the best of yet. He was back near last in the Epsom and found the line in astonishing fashion. Yeah, yeah, he's got that that, that great turn of foot on him. So. Um, yeah, it's a shame this autumn. It just hasn't gone his way at all with these with these really heavy tracks. He's had a little bit of form early on heavy tracks, but they weren't what uh, what we've had this autumn. So, no. uh, very excited to to sort of be continuing his campaign, and um, I'm sure he'll run really well in the Stradbroke. Joe, I'll just get you to stand by for a moment. We'll clear a commitment on the podcast, and we'll come back with you after this. Trainers strive to have horses spot on for race day. Fuel cells up, the right mental state, the right fitness levels. Equally important is the horse's capacity to recover quickly from racing and track work. The aim is to give owners every opportunity to win optimum prize money by keeping a horse in training for as long as possible. High Gain Recuperate is a powerful blend of electrolytes, B-group vitamins and vitamin E in paste form which can be administered after fast work and in the days leading up to a race to assist recovery. 30ml of Recuperate drawn from the 500ml bulk pack is the economical alternative to individual electrolyte and vitamin paste syringes. High Gain Recuperate powers performance and recovery. Visit the High Gain website and use promo code johntap.racing to receive 15% off your next Recuperate purchase. And my special guest is Joe Pride. Well, Private Eye was purchased and syndicated by Proven Thoroughbreds, a very professional outfit run by Jamie Walter and his son Tom. You've had a terrific association with Proven, 
who often have anything up to 10 horses in the stable. Yes, no, they're fantastic to work with, and um, um, I was I was good friends, and uh, well, he's, he was more of a mentor to me, actually, Guy Walter, Jamie's brother, and um, mm. unfortunately, when he passed on, um, um, Jamie um, came and um, saw me and wanted me to take over the horses, which was I was, I was more than happy to do, mm. um, and we've had a we've had a really good association, so it's, it's something that's building. He's he's a fantastic syndicator. He's got a good eye for a horse, and he's got some some great horses racing up in Brisbane with the O'Day. Uh, stable as well so yeah. um, uh, it's a flourishing business and it's flourishing for a reason not only his ability to pick horses but the way he looks after his clients as well mm, good news stockman has done a good job in the proven thoroughbred colors seven wins 10 placings almost a million dollars in his recent preparation he won the sky high a group three he ran second at dewis in the tancred at newcastle and then he finished well back in the sydney cup on a bottomless track he got Way too far back, Joe, on a day when nothing was making any ground. Yeah, that's been the tale of the carnival there at Ramwick. So that was unlucky because it was it was it was another great opportunity for him, and he'll never get in another Group One handicap with fifty one on his back. So, um, but he, he's he's a fantastic horse. He's he's a horse who obviously really loves wet tracks, but um, he's going to have a lot more opportunities. He's uh, hasn't got an arthritic bone in his body. Um, he's really just coming to his peak now, and uh, I can see him racing on, you know, well until he's eight, nine, and maybe even you know, beyond ten, because um, he's he's a very sound horse. Mm. He's got a great mind. He's very relaxed. Lovely horse to work with. Mm. There's no doubt you've emerged as a specialist trainer of fillies and mares. You've won a lot of mares races in recent years, including the Coolmore Classic in 2014 with Steps in Time. Now, you took over the training of this mare from John O'Shea and she won the Group 1 not long after. Jim Cassidy crossed to lead pretty easily, but when he got to the 600, he took off, he led five lengths on the turn. Was that a preconceived plan? <laughs> that, was, that was just Jimmy being Jimmy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, look, I'm not sure if she could have won under uh, under other circumstances, but when you look back on it, it was just uh, he timed it to the to the second, to the millimetre, because mm. <laughs> they, they were coming quicker on the line. But um, a, a, again, a, a, a very good mare, but maybe a little bit like Regal. She probably just that that yard short of a, a genuine Group One horse. Mm. Um, but that's what handicaps are for, and they they get their opportunity. And, and she was always she's a, as a very consistent mare, um, from a great family, and she 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 won a lot of races. Uh, John did a fantastic job with her, and I was lucky enough to sort of inherit her mm. late in her career and and um, and pick up that Group One for her. You won thirteen races with a very good horse called Tiger Tease. He won three Group Threes. He won a Group Two. And he got his Group 1 in the 2014 Galaxy with Eduardo's jockey on board, Nashra Willa. Yeah, he well, he was the first of the – or sorry, he was the second of the brothers to come along because uh, they had a horse called Dowboy Lucas before him. But, you know, uh, and most people probably realise, but he – Tiger Tees is a brother to Ball of Muscle in Terra Vista. Mm. Uh, fantastic broodmare, an amazing broodmare, par four. Um, but he was a special horse, Tiger. He um, – very, very courageous – he only won the one group one, but he won plenty of plenty of group races along the way, and uh, he really sort of set the tone for his brothers to come along and and follow in his footsteps. Jay, you've trained a number of handy horses for the Tricolours Syndication Company, which is very expertly run by its founder, James Moss. Fasica was a bonnie mare you trained for the Tricolours, a daughter of So You Think, who's probably the stallion of the autumn. 
Uh, she won five with five placings, about 760,000. She won a group two and a group three, and she ran third in an all-age stakes. Yeah, yeah, really good man. Unfortunately, re- retired a little early, um, just through a few issues that she had. She was never that sound, um, but, a, but a fantastic racehorse on a day. Um, and James, again, I'm lucky enough to train for, for a couple of great syndicators, but James also has also picked up on something else that I've always wanted um, um, or love my owners to do is, is get some tried horses. And we've had, mm. you know, Pecans and Three Ood, which both, you know, won, won nice group races for the mm. stable. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, for Seeker, she was, um, she was a very talented horse. She was, she was unlucky not to win a group one. If, if she'd been able to hang around for a little bit longer and have a few more starts, I think she would have been able to do it. But, um, mm. just in the end, she just, she wasn't a, a viable racing proposition. So she's off to stud. The recently retired ballistic lover was a nice mare for the tricolours. She won two stakes races. She won about 466,000. You'd like a barn full of them. Yeah, yeah, she was um, um, she was great. She sort of took forever to break a maiden. I say forever. It was, you know, I think it was five or six starts, which is unusual for a speed horse to take that many starts. You understand a staying horse taking that many starts. And I've got to say, early doors, I, I, my rider kept telling me how good she was, Michelle Reed. She kept telling me, and I, yeah. I was doubting her because it, <laughs> she wasn't winning. Um, but I think once she got a little bit older, um, into a three-year-old year, and we worked out we just had to space the runs a little bit, Keep her, keep her mad fresh, and uh, to the short course, she really started to to build a winning record. And um, uh, yes, very fast mare, very capable. I'm sure she'll make a. It's always hard to pick which which ones are going to make good brood mares, but I'd, I'd be tipping she'd be a good brood mare. Mm. Another recent retiree is Royal Witness, the unfailingly honest gelding, who won six with fourteen placings and well over four hundred thousand. He went to Toby Edmonds for one preparation. But you won five races with him, and wasn't he genuine? Yeah, he's a, a, a really genuine speedster. So um, he's actually a brother to Private Eye. So I've got a few mm. few sort of siblings that I've had. Throughout this, and I think it's always good. It's a bit of an advantage training horses out of the same mares. You get to know little traits and little little tricks into um, you know into their in, into their into the way they do things. So um, no. Mm. Pro, um, Sorry, uh, Royal Witness was a great, great little horse. Just a very consistent horse who mm. won on most tracks in Sydney, and and um, he just he never stopped trying. Mm. Brutality's been a great money spinner. Six wins, nine placings, eight hundred and fifty thousand. He won the Villiers uh, late last year with Regan Bayless on board, and I've got to talk to you about the new look Villiers as of uh, this year. It has been renamed the Ingham and rightly so, after Jack and Bob Ingham, whose contribution to our sport was immeasurable, and they've put the prize money up to $2 million. Now, Joe, I've got to ask you this question. Uh, Is it the right time of year for a $2 million race? I mean, all of the spring horses uh, are, are in the paddock, of course, after the spring carnival, and it's probably, it is, in fact, way too early for the autumn carnival horses. Are they going yeah. to get the kind of horse they want for a $2 million Ingham? Look, possibly not. Um, but you, you will see some um, You will see some very good horses aimed at the race, no doubt. 
um, the, the trick will, will be there for all for all trainers will be there to um, get them to peak then and then have them peaking again in March and April. Um, that'll be the difficult thing, but there are mm. some tough horses around that are capable of doing that, and it's just a matter of uh, identifying those kind of horses and aiming for it. So it's certainly a race. Um, we've got so many new races now and so many big prize money races. There's, there's so much opportunity, and you know, the good good horses are very hard to find. So you're going to get a lot of these races won by horses that um, you might consider not not up to the level you'd expect that you'd need to, to win those kind of races. But uh, mm. that's the strength in um, in having a lot of quality horses in stable. It's something we're looking always looking to improve um having as you know as many it's an obvious thing but having as many good horses as you can in the stable because the opportunities for them have never been better now i've reserved uh, some space for this horse a remarkable old gelding called destiny's kiss who deserves his place joe in the freak category now robert <laughs> smerton won half a dozen races with him in victoria before nick marata sent him up to you you were destined to win another 13 including, and I can't get my head around this, 10 listed races. Among them was yep. a Gosford Gold Cup and a Wyong Cup. He was a marvel. Yeah, he did it. He did it the hard way in terms of earning his prize. I mean, I think by the end of his career, he might have earned at least a million and a half. But I think the biggest check he ever picked up um, was maybe a Wyong Cup for, for about 80000 So mm-hmm. he, he earned it. He earned the money the hard way, but an amazing, consistent horse. And I remember when he walked in the in the stable, he's, um, it was after Vision and Power, and I sort of thought to myself, oh, good, I'm getting another tried horse from down in Melbourne. And he walked in, and he was tiny, and he, he was lean. He was <laughs> yeah. he was flat out if he weighed any more than 420 kilos, 430 yeah. kilos. And uh, sort of thought, he's got my work cut out here. I don't even know how Robert had won the five races with him. Um, but uh, just didn't take me long to find out that he was a pretty special horse. Oh, he had a uh, motor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and loved again, loved the wet tracks, and he just needed those those opportunities whenever he'd get a, a wet track, and he got quite a few of them during the summer summer yeah. months. Actually, he won a heap of Tats Cups, and hmm. um, it's, as soon as he'd get a wet track, he he just um, he, he was a changed horse. He um, yeah. uh, he he just thrive on them, and again, light on his feet, just skipped across the ground. It's hmm. no surprise that he got through those wet tracks so well. Ten listed races. It's mind boggling. I don't think I'll ever train another horse that can do that. It's, it's just really <laughs> unusual, isn't it? You normally see horses, horses that win a listed race are going one way or the other. That's the best race they're going to win, or yeah. they're going to win better races. Mm. He stayed at that level for yeah. year after year. It's quite amazing. Mm. The nicest part of his story, Destiny's Kiss, is the fact that after 102 starts, when it was time to pull the pin, he retired completely sound. Unbelievably sound. <laughs> if you, I think, if you'd t- taken a set of X-rays of his uh, of his joints and knees, they would by the end of his career they would have passed to, to get him into Hong Kong because mm. he just didn't didn't have an arthritic bone in his body. And I'd say he'll live to a grand old age that horse because he's so healthy. Mm, that's good news, mate. Now to your all-time favourite, the remarkable Eduardo, who's currently spelling in Queensland. It's well documented that he had 12 Victorian runs for Sarah Shoker for three wins, including a Group 2 at Caulfield before coming to you. Was he put on the market, Joe, by his original owners? It wasn't so much put on the market. It, it was just um, an owner of mine, Lyndon Galvin. Um, just, um, he, he always liked the horse and he just approached um, 
Nick Kresge, who's the original owner and still an owner of the horse now, which is great. The, 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 mm. the old owners have come along for the ride as well. And, um, yeah, we just sort of filled up his ownership group with a few more people to enjoy the ride mm. and, and what a ride it's been. It's, it's nice when you can say the best horse you've ever trained is still currently in the stable because the, there's still more fun to be had. And he's um, mm. while he's um, he's not young, uh, he's only got limited sort of starts on the um, – he's I think he's had 27 starts. So mm. I'd love to be – I think I can get him out to maybe 40 starts, maybe a few more, and that will take me mm. another couple of seasons to get those because he has his runs spaced. Mm. Um, but just the most amazing horse to deal with. Um, mm. So consistent, just ridiculously consistent. He's mm. like a metronome. He's won two Group 1s, four Group 2s. He ran third in an Everest. Now, what about his temperament? I believe he's got a few little quirks. Yeah, look, he's he's probably been spoilt rotten from day one, um, and uh, he is quirky. But a lot of good horses like that, though. You know, they just have – they know that they're pretty special, and uh, they're looked at differently by people, and I think they pick up on that, particularly once they get to sort of his age. Mm. Um, and he goes out first – First thing in the morning, and um, if you didn't pull him out first thing, it'd be a, a, a deluxe dummy spit, I'm sure. So really? I wouldn't even risk not doing it. Yeah, no, he mm. just he knows his he knows his role in the stable, and he looks at other horses. Nash has said mm. to me, um, uh, I think it was during this preparation. He says when he walks out of that track, he he always stares down Nature Strip, and he thinks that he thinks that Eduardo thinks that he's bigger than Nature Strip. He's mm. clearly not. But um, he, um, he he thinks he's 10 foot tall and bulletproof, Eduardo. He's an yeah. amazing horse. <laughs> we'll talk about his defeat of Nature Strip in a moment, but I just thought of a, an amazing little story. You're talking about his uh, uh, attitude if uh, he doesn't get his own way. Guy Walter told me a story once. Tie the knot, always went uh, over to the track in the first batch, always. One morning, for some reason, Guy reshuffled the team and Tie the Knot didn't go out the gate with the first team. Guy said the performance was unbelievable. <laughs> he went crazy. Absolutely. Yeah. Guy said, quick, get him out, put a saddle on him before he hurts himself. Yeah. Yeah, no, they uh, they they're very much creatures of, of habit horses, and and and, and establishing a, a firm routine for them is so important. In in uh, and and all good trainers do it. They they need that. They need the, the you know. And a lot of people, if they had to do things so repetitively, would find it boring. But not horses. They they love that routine. They love that sense of knowing where they're going, what they're doing, mm-hmm. who's going to be riding them, who's going to be leading them. And I think if you can get the combinations right there, mm-hmm. that's when you get the very best out of a horse. Mm, terrific. Now, his defeat of Nature Strip in the Challenge Stakes last year, I think this is your favourite win. Nature Strip looked to have him, looked to have him cold, and didn't he fight back that day? Yeah, amazing win. And I think they, it was a, I'm sure the track was rated the five, and they, they took, I think, 0.4 off the 1,000-metre track record. I mean, you break 2,000-metre track records by that much, not 1,000-metre not track records. Mm. Um, they, they lifted themselves to a, to a different level, those two horses, that day. And um, there was certainly nothing wrong with Nature Strip's run, but uh, he just mm. found one that just wanted to, you know, had a little bit more desire that last, mm. that last 50. Mm. Wasn't the only time he beat Nature Strip. He proved the challenge win was no fluke by beating him in the shorts. He was never going to get beaten in the galaxy on Golden Slipper Day last year. Nash was still sitting still inside the 200 that day. Yeah, I think it's probably probably the, to the eye anyway, probably the most impressive Group 1 winner of train because, like you said, he was just never going to get beat. Mm. He's, he's an amazing horse at Rose Hill, Eduardo. It's a shame that there aren't more races on there for him. Mm. And I took him back for the classic legend this year and mm. once again was just dominant. Um, it's a shame they, they wouldn't run a... Um, 
a TJ there one year or, or an Everest because I think my horse would be unbeatable. He just loves Rose Hill. And so well, it's all about the uh, – and I've, I've learnt this with the sprinters over the year. It's about – years, it's about um, one-turn tracks and, and, and turning tracks, you know, horseshoe-shaped 1,200 and sprint courses. And some horses just love the horseshoe shape and that's what he loves. He just mm. loves that constant turning. Uh, just gives him his advantage. And those horses, and there's no fluke. When I took him down to Melbourne, he's had four goes down the straight, and he's, he hasn't won um, Eduardo. He just, mm. He's not the same horse when he's just got to go just go on a straight line. Mm. You really observe the characteristics of your horses, don't you? You must watch those replays over and over again. Yeah, look, it's just I think to be to be good at anything, you've, you've really got to put a lot of time and effort into it. And um when it's something you enjoy so much, and it's it's fantastic. I've got my son coming to now through, uh, through now, uh, Bravey. He's sixteen, and and the things that he can pick up on um, mm. is amazing. So I, I, I think he's got the right kind of temperament and mm. and mind to to make a very good horse trainer himself, if that's a path a path he chooses. But mm. you're yeah, going back to myself. I, I I just enjoy it so much. Uh, you know, I mean, mm. you know, in terms of picking out races, programming for horses, there's it's a great job. Mm. And it was great to see Eduardo win the time-honoured Doombin 10,000, your second win in the famous race. Yeah, look, it was a deserved win. It was at the end of a prep. He was a tired horse. Um, or looking at the performance on the day, he was probably a bit of a tired horse. But this is the thing with this horse. The difference between his worst runs and his best runs is is minimal. Whereas, as I said, with Terra Vista before, the difference between – he wouldn't have won a – there were performances later in his career, he wouldn't have won a, a Kembla maiden Terra Vista. Mm. Whereas, whereas um, Eduardo goes within – a length or two of his best every time. It's, mm. it's quite quite astonishing that a, that a horse can can be like that. And I guess you know we've seen other examples and the mm. mighty mare Winks. I mean, she was like that. Mm. Um, but uh, to train one yourself, very special. Mm. We've all heard the expression "high cruising speed." This horse can run incredible sectionals by himself with no pressure. He just does it himself. Yeah, he, he tends to break the hearts of his rivals, and that's his best weapon. There's no doubt about that. His best weapon is his speed, and um, he doesn't always get to lead, and he doesn't have to lead to win. But I think his most impressive impressive performances are when he just gets to dictate, and um, and he, he's he's got that confidence about him. Once you've given him that lead, and you know he goes quick, so he's giving all the other horses a chance. But once he's got that lead, he's just so hard to run down because he's not only has he got that speed, which we're seeing a lot of. There's a lot of quick horses out there. It's very rare that's combined with amazing fight and, and stamina to the line, but he's, he can he can do both. You don't chase two-year-olds, but if a natural runner comes along, you obviously press on. You had one such youngster recently in the shape of Charlatan. He's still a maiden after five runs. He did run second in the Golden Gift and third in the Todman. You gave the slipper a miss, and then he struck the bottomless track in the sires, and he yeah, was, we do. Mm. Sorry, sorry, mate. Yeah, no, I was going to say we didn't really give the slipper a miss. We didn't want to miss it, but it was uh, mm. he got it, developed a little foot abscess um, oh. uh, the day the day before. It was so unfortunate. He was he was lame for basically a forty eight hour period the day before the slipper and the day of the slipper. So, but mm. look, as it turned out, it was a very heavy track. He wouldn't have done his best. He's he's been a real victim of the carnival, unfortunately. But you'll see that horse back in the back in the spring, and he's he's a very good horse in the making. Um, yeah. No doubt about that. He just needs firm footing, and um, he got that in his first campaign. When you see him on top of the ground in the in the spring, I think uh, Nash rode him in a, in a trial, and he said to me, when when he's three years old, you just, just be picking which guineas you want to win with him. So Did he? he's got a very good opinion of him. I'm really looking forward to it. He's probably the horse I'm, I'm most excited about in the, in the stable to see him come back. Oh, that's good, mate. We'll be making a note of that. 
You got a big thrill at Wyong recently when you won a benchmark race with a horse called Coal Crusher. The strapper was your 16-year-old son, Brave, your only son, and it brought back a few memories for you on the day, didn't it? It did, yeah. yeah. It, it just it, Coincidence, but it coincided with the day that I strapped, uh, April 14, the day I strapped Padstow to win a, a galaxy for, for John. Mm. So uh, amazing how those things can sort of line up. But uh, no, Braves, as I mentioned him before, he's a he's a real really hard worker and um, I think he's got the, the right kind of um, he's got he's got the right the, the makings there of a, of a very good trainer himself if he if he wants mm. to do it and I'm probably calling that a bit early as I say he's 16 mm. um, but it'd be lovely to have you know have him follow in my footsteps I'd be very proud if he could mm. he could do that but I'm certainly not putting any pressure on him to do that because there's so many other avenues he can he can take in life and I just want mm. him to be happy as I do for my for my daughters I just want him to um, to find whatever makes him happy in life he might seek a degree in psychology Joe. <laughs> Be quite funny if he did, wouldn't it? So my sister actually went down that. My older sister actually went down that path in the end. So it suited her more than it did me. So, so there's one psychologist in the family. Thank goodness. I think one's enough, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and what about the girls, Alice and Charlie, fourteen and thirteen respectively? Any interest in the horses? No, none. And I'm I'm pretty happy with that though. I think I think just there's two uh, there's two addicts in the family. I think that's probably enough. So um, <laughs> no, the girls have got uh, have got zero interest. But look, that's not to say down the track that they won't. And um, uh, I'd be fearful of my youngest one actually taking up an an interest, Charlie, because she's um, she's probably the boss, and she's uh, I don't yeah. think she'd listen to dad much. So <laughs> no. I haven't got much power over Charlie. She's pretty uh, she's pretty talented, but she's also uh, She's pretty persuasive and she gets her own way too often, I think. And, of course, your wife, Kylie, works diligently on the administration side of the business and allows you to get on with training 50 horses currently. Yeah, look, I, I sort of worked out early on. I, I, I like to work to my strengths and um, and Kylie, Kylie and, um, and other staff as well. Um, Doing that stuff behind the scenes, which is uh, which isn't seen on race day, but it's mm. so important to have to have the the back office, you know, working efficiently, and um, mm. and they do they do a great job with that. Mm. You were almost childhood sweethearts, I think. You went to school together. Yes, yeah, just the last couple of years of school, and um, yeah, look, it's it's um, it seems like a lifetime, um, but you know, as you said fifty, it's not it's not that old. There's still plenty of plenty of time to, to go and uh, I just like to think in the in the next phase that I can sort of maybe just take a not, not a backward step but maybe just uh, not work myself so hard mm. <laughs> of uh, of uh, I've put plenty into it and and, and been rewarded too but um, yeah mm. I'd like to think especially maybe if brave comes through that I can sort of delegate a little bit better I've got a, I've, I've worked a little bit smarter for the last sort of four or five years and mm. and worked out you know what I do and don't need to, to be so heavily involved in, um, and uh, and in doing that, I think I'll enjoy it more as well. And making up the team is your racing manager, Orla Pearl, who was previously with Coolmore. You obviously poached her. Yeah, yes, yes. Uh, well, so um, it's, a, it's an interesting role, the racing manager, when it's a new role in racing. Um, mm. It's only probably been the last 10 to 15 years that trainers have even had managers, um, but mm. they're very necessary now and they take care of so much stuff, um, not just behind the scenes on race day, 
And for a trainer like myself who, as I said, I like to just stick to training my horses, I need a very good racing manager because you've got to cover mm. so many other of my of my deficiencies. So she does a great job with that all and uh, can only hope that she stays around for a lot longer. Mm. Joe, the last time we did an interview for a Sky Racing program, we were sitting at a picnic table at Chipping Norton Lakes, not far from Warwick Farm Racecourse. Podcasting was an unknown commodity at that time. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It was a long time ago, and that was right at the start of, 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 the, of the training career. So uh, it's amazing how quickly 20 years have gone past, John. It really is. It's uh, um We've done a lot in, in in those twenty years, but it just it's it's by in the, in the blink of an eye. It really is just watching the kids grow up so quickly, and mm. um, yeah, it's it's all been very rewarding. Though I wouldn't swap it for any other anything else. I tell you, if I could, uh, I've got no regrets about um, about coming into the industry. I think it's a fantastic industry. Industry rewards hard work, and um, I've got some pretty special memories and and trophies to to sort of reflect on. Yep, Joe, it's been a delight having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for your time. On a Sunday morning, keep up the good work. You have already established yourself in the upper echelon of Sydney racehorse trainers with 100 stakes winners, 14 group ones, and the best is yet to come. Great. Thanks very much, John. And this podcast was produced by Supernova Sound. Mitovite has been producing high-quality feeds and supplements for all walks of equine life for almost 40 years. Mitovite has become a household name in racing and breeding circles with products like Athlete, Formula 3 and Breeder. Time-tested products in the breeding barn and on the racetrack. 26 thoroughbred Group 1 winners this season have been on a Mitovite feeding regime. From humble beginnings on the New South Wales Central Coast, Mitovite has become a world leader in equine nutrition. Infrastructure investment in the production mill and close attention to nutritional science keeps Mitovite at a standard of excellence developed over four decades. Check the website, mitovite.com, or follow the Mitovite Racing and Breeding Facebook page. The Mitovite brand has earned the respect of horse people all over the world.